0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC.
1: Roland Warren is president and CEO of CareNet, a nonprofit organization that offers alternatives to abortion and Christ centered support through a network of pregnancy centers and churches and other organizations. Roland's been featured on The Oprah Winfrey Show, The Today Show, CNN, and a whole bunch of other media outlets. As an author and a speaker, he's passionate about family and faith. Roland, thanks so much for joining me today on Takeaways. Well, delighted to be with you today. Thanks so much for having me. You know, the last time that we got together, I believe it was in Southern California, we had lunch, and we were talking about the National yes. Fatherhood Initiative, and I, I so appreciate your, uh, your focus and concern and investment in family and issues of faith.
2: Well, thank you very much. Yeah, that, it is a, a passion that I have, and and it's interesting because I'm, you know, obviously working on the life issue now, and the work that I did with National Fatherhood Initiative for about about twelve years really kind of led into that because it really gave me a perspective of the role of men uh, in the life issue, which is really critical uh, in a situation uh, as we deal with you know unplanned pregnancies and and the result of that.
1: So engaging
2: men is critically important in terms of the work that CareNet
1: does, Roland. I so appreciate and respect your. A position on these issues and also uh, I, I just I love your your background you graduated from Princeton and from Wharton School of Business you spent 20 years in the corporate world working for companies like IBM and Goldman Sachs and now you are investing your time dealing with the issue of life what led you to CareNet?
2: well you know it's interesting it's, it's a sort of a, a longer sto- story that I'll say very quickly but you know when I was in college I got my girlfriend pregnant uh, we were both undergrads at Princeton, and um, I was a junior. She was a sophomore, and she was uh, encouraged to abort, and uh, she didn't want to do that. Uh, we decided to get married, despite you know the encouragement to abort, and uh, we've been married for for over forty years. And so, pretty early on, as a kid who grew up without a dad, you know, I was kind of moved into fatherhood and had the life issue and the fatherhood issue both come together. Mm. So as I left Princeton and went into the business world. I thought that's where God had me. But the reality is that that lesson that I learned way back when I was a 20 year old college student was really very connected to uh, the work that that God has given me to do. I kind of think about myself in many ways, like Wilberforce, these two great objects, you know, he had these two great objects, reformational manners and abolishment of slavery. For me, it's really helping those who are vulnerable from the standpoint of those in the womb, but then also building strong families and helping fathers be the best dad that they can be. And certainly the life issue is sort of ground zero for both of those things. Fatherhood begins at conception. And so uh, it's very much connected to uh, the work that I do and, and the call that God has for me and my personal uh, story and personal narrative. And just to finish that, my wife ended up graduating uh, from Princeton, not with just one kid, but with two. I told her she'd never become a doctor or whatever if she, if she, if she decided to have the child well she's been a doctor practicing over 25 years so I've seen in my own life how you know when you use God's plan uh, and and you focus on what God has called us to do don't let one mistake uh, be complicated with a second
1: mistake that being an abortion we can see the abundance from that I want to make sure that people don't miss something you just said you just said fatherhood begins at conception Think about that. We hear about life and whether or not that begins at conception, but fatherhood and motherhood begin at conception. And that's absolutely true. There was no one who needed to tell me that when my wife got pregnant, that I was a father. I already knew that. She knew that she was a mother. Uh, We were already beginning to take care of that little baby as soon as we found out that she was pregnant. And I love that you are reminding us that Men have a huge part in this issue of life and whether to abort or not abort, because we're told often, "Men, you have nothing to say about this. This has nothing to do with you. This is not your body. You stay out of the whole thing." But you have something very different to say. What, what is your message? Really, I mean, if you
2: think about it uh, from that perspective, I mean, one of the things that Roe did. Uh, is that it disconnected fatherhood and motherhood in the womb. So now legally with Roe, the law set up basically a situation where a woman becomes a mother at conception and a man becomes a father at birth. And that disconnection really was against God's design because he connected the, the motherhood, motherhood and fatherhood together in the womb, and the child is a living reflection of that. Then when I had the sort of uncertainty about what was going to happen for, for my wife and I, my wife Yvette and I, in terms of you know, moving forward, the one thing I was certain about was that there was a life growing inside of her, and it wasn't a life worth sacrificing, but a life worth sacrificing for. And that really informs a lot of the work that we do at Care Net because we actually looked at sort of the, the story of the birth of Christ, because what you see is that you have the same kind of dynamic. Here's Mary facing an unplanned pregnancy from a human perspective, hopes and dreams for her life that don't include a, a child at this time in, in this way. And, and she's encouraged. And she, what, what does she do? She chooses life. And, and essentially the work that we do at pregnancy centers is trying to encourage women to ascribe to themselves the virtue and the character of Mary to choose life. Despite all the uncertainty of what they don't know, focus on the certainty of what they do know. Now, for a lot of folks who read that story, which is in the first chapter, the first book of the New Testament, they stop there. But you need to keep reading because what did God do to make sure that Mary's unplanned pregnancy wasn't a crisis pregnancy? Well, he sent an angel to Joseph. And Joseph had a plan. He was going to divorce her quietly. And the angel comes to him and tells him what? Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, not your baby mama, your boo, your shorty, but your wife. And so what you see in that narrative is that you have the sanctity of life, yes, but that's after the sanctity of marriage and family, those two things together. And in God's design, you don't have marriage and family without men. And so when you start thinking about the life issue through that perspective, even though the way that a woman becomes pregnant, like my wife becoming pregnant was obviously very different from Mary's, the, the practical consequence and the circumstances were very similar because Mary had hopes and dreams. What's Joseph going to say? What's my family going to say? How I'm going to take care of this child? All that uncertainty swirling around, and she chose life. And so the guy was called into that as well. The father was called into that as well, and Joseph was called to do two things, to be a husband to her and a father to the child growing inside of her. So when we think about this issue in terms of like a way forward, then we have to be calling men. And I'll just give one other point. We did a national survey with LifeWay and we asked women who had had abortions, who did they talk to about their abortion decision? We gave them a long list, their mother, their best friend, Planned Parenthood, all of that. Number one was the guy who got her pregnant. Then we asked who was the most influential in her decision to abort. Guess who she said, the father of the child. Now, we just finished a similar survey of men. Men who had been participating in abortion, same thing. We asked them the same questions. Who did she talk to more than anyone else? Him. Wasn't even close. And then we asked, who was the most influential in her decision to abort? Guess who was? Him. So, you can't be thinking about the life issue without having this perspective of engaging men because the woman who's facing an unplanned pregnancy is 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 being influenced by him although it's her body right and her choice in a lot of ways in terms of the, the roe v wade narrative and, and the messaging that's out there the reality is that he still has a role in that and that and his decision to step into that role to be a husband and a father impacts her choice and her decision so I learned that early on when I was a 20 year old uh, when when my wife was sitting there with those her hopes and dreams of becoming a doctor or graduating from Princeton and people telling him that could never happen the reality was that even though she made that choice my decision also impacted that choice. And so we need to be calling men in the same way that we're calling women to, be, to tap into their inner Mary. We should be ta- calling men to tap into their inner
1: Joseph and try to build strong families. And that's a key part of Karenette's ministry model. Man, that that just seems to be one of the devil's uh, most commonly used tactics is to try to uh, dismantle the correct narrative and take some issue out of context and uh, just just make it about something else. And I love that you are putting uh, the idea of life uh, back into the context of family and motherhood and fatherhood beginning at conception. That's just brilliant. And we need to get back to that narrative. I'm so happy that you're doing that. And there are those who are profiting off of the whole uh, abortion industry. And so it makes sense to them, makes sense to me, that they would want to disconnect the baby and the birth and the mother from the father and from the idea of marriage and family and God's design. And of course, that's exactly uh, what, what they're doing. Roland, let me ask you, when someone walks into one of uh, the pregnancy care centers uh, as, as part of CareNet, How is she greeted? How is she met? And and what's the kind of counseling that she receives? the thing that we really try to do on the front end, too, is is, is our
2: our brand promise, if you will. I'm a business guy, so I have to use some business terms, is really for her to have compassion, hope, and help, because we model what we do after what Christ did. He offered compassion, that gave people hope, and then he gave them help. And so we do the same thing with someone who's facing a pregnancy decision. We meet them at their point of need, and then we call them into this kind of this relationship so that we can start offering them the type of support that they need and try to help them understand their options and understand that this life growing inside of them is not a life worth sacrificing, but a life worth sacrificing for. But the other piece clearly too is that ideally we want the guy to come as well. Because we know that his his impact and his uh, support uh, for this life decision impacts her. 86% of the women who've had abortions historically have been unmarried women. And so this whole notion of engaging men is so critically important, both at the point of, of conception, obviously, but then also as she's making this decision and struggling with, with the missing support, if you will, uh, that can happen if the guy does not step into that role. And so one of the things that we clearly want to do as we walk her through the different options that she has is we Mm. wanna try to engage the guy and have a a ministry partner with him while we're also talking with her.
1: You've also talked about the importance of not just being pro-life, but pro-abundant life. What do you mean by that?
2: Yeah. Well, it's good good that you asked that, because really talking about John 10.10, 10, where Christ said, I came that you might have life and then have that life abundantly. And the insight that we had was that when you really look at that verse and unpack it in the Greek, he's talking about two types of life. He's talking about bios, which is physical life, but he's also talking about zoe, which is a unique type of spiritual life that only comes from a relationship with Christ. So essentially what he's saying is, I came to link your bios with my zoe. And when you think about that in the life context, it means that we can't just be focused on saving the baby in physical life, as God honoring as that is. We also be want to make sure that, that child is a heartbeat that's heaven-bound, because that's really what Christ wanted us to be: heartbeats that are heaven bound, to link our bias to his Zoe. And so from a pro-abundant life perspective, you're really thinking about it in that context. Because Jesus wasn't pro-life. Jesus was pro-abundant life, and the way that we know that is because he said he was. And so a key part of the pro-abundant life perspective is that first piece that I talked about. Which which is God's design for family. God's designed for family, that's the first pillar that holds up sort of that pro-abundant life roof. And that's the reason why we're focused on not just saving babies as God honors as that is, but also building strong families so we can break that intergenerational abortion cycle that happens too much and that happens too much in our culture.
1: Roland, I love CareNet. I love all of the pregnancy centers, uh, the women's resource centers that you work with. And there's so many success stories. Uh, And I also love that you even help women who have already had abortions. Uh, There is a great story that I want uh, everyone to see right now from Anita and to see the the hope and the help and the healing that she received.
0: Hi, my name is Anita and I'd like to share a little bit of my story with you. I have always went to church, however, I never opened up the Bible to study it myself. I was very independent, but had very low self-esteem. I had to grow up very quickly because my parents divorced when I was a teenager, had good relationships with my family. However, when I got older, I moved to Houston and um, that's where I started my career. We had lots of friends and um, single, but at 28 years old, I found myself pregnant. I was devastated. And I'd never heard of a pregnancy help center before. So I went the street from the church I was attending to Planned Parenthood and also the pastor at the church I was attending had just said when the abortion subject would come up he would just say it was between the woman and her doctor so I went to Planned Parenthood and I went to my physician and neither one of them told me that there was a real-life baby inside me instead I went to a clinic drove myself never told anyone and I'll never forget that day when I drove myself back, I just laid across my apartment floor and just cried. I was sad, I was empty, and I was definitely lonely and ashamed. I was a believer in Jesus Christ, and I had asked the Lord to forgive me for having that abortion. However, I never received any type of counseling to help, help heal me physically or mentally. I had started attending another church, and by that time, I'd married a wonderful man. And after our 10th wedding anniversary, he decided that we should go move to Crossville, Tennessee, a small city in Tennessee. And when we were there, we found out about Pregnancy Help Center. We were board members, we volunteered, and we even had a couple fundraisers. But most of all, that's when I had to tell my husband about my abortion many years earlier. At the pregnancy help center, I took a class called "Forgiven and Set Free." That was a weekly class, that one-on-one counseling that started my healing, and that's when I knew that the Lord had a purpose for my life.
1: Roland, how can people find out more information about CareNet? Well, simply
2: you can go to our website, which is Care net.org care-net.org. Also, uh, you want to learn more about what we're doing. You can go to another site called makinglifedisciples.com. So care-net.org and makinglifedisciples.com, and and that's a way that you can learn more about what CareNet is doing because it's, it, this is work that really needs to be done, and uh, God certainly has a call on all of us to be life affirming and to help people not just have life but have abundant life, uh, consistent with what Christ called us to
1: have. Roland, thank you for shedding light on the important work that you're doing. When we come back, we're gonna discuss the implications of Roe versus Wade being overturned and what that means for pregnancy care. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you wanna tell people the big news? We're back with Roland Warren talking about what a post Roe versus Wade world looks like for pregnancy centers. Roland, n- now that Roe has been overturned, uh, does that mean we all go home, or does that mean that there is more work to be done for pregnancy centers, and what's that going to look like?
2: Well, it's certainly, Kirk. It's not the the end. It's just the end of the beginning. Uh, because, you know, our our work from the beginning has always had the perspective that Roe was overturned because we had an insight early on that said every time that a woman who has an opportunity to have abortion chooses not to, she actually overturned Roe v. Wade. So preparing for Roe has been... Part of our ministry model from the beginning because we, we know that we have the ability to overturn Roe every single day, regardless of what happens legislatively or judicially. So, a key part of that really is the role of the church. I mean, the reality is that there are roughly 3,500 or so pregnancy centers across the country. Uh, and, and you look at the impact of the number of folks who are seeking abortion, well, they're going to need compassion, hope, and help. And there's certainly a role for pregnancy centers. The sweet spot of our work is really from conception to birth, but a little bit, maybe a little bit further. But the reality is if a woman walks into a pregnancy center with a 10-year-old, there's not much that we can do for her. And so the church has a very, very specific role and a very, very specific call uh, in a post-role environment. In fact, the church is the only institution that's ideologically aligned and structurally capable of dealing with a post-role environment in a God-honoring way. Social services can't do that because it's transactional. So if you come to a social services entity and you have two kids you can't take care of and you're pregnant with a third, they they just try try to look at what support they can give you. They don't try to ask you how you're living. It's not transformational. But Christ said, come as you are, but don't stay as you came. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what we want is to make sure that someone has not just life but abundant life and that transformational abundant life comes when you start to connect people to the church for ongoing
1: support and discipleship. That's a key aspect of how you think about it. And don't we as the family of faith need to start thinking about the fact that with Roe being overturned, that means there's many states that have the opportunity to protect life, which means many, many more babies are going to be coming into the world. And some of these moms won't be able to raise their their child themselves. So what are we going to do with all of these babies?
2: Yeah, no, and that's absolutely it. See, a part of the challenge, I think, has always been sort of Christians viewing the life issue either through a political engagement or a material support lens. I submit to you the primary way you should think about the life issue is through a discipleship lens. If helping someone who's facing a pregnancy decision is a good work, all good works that Christians do should lead to discipleship. And so when you start to think about the life issue from a discipleship lens, you realize this is something that's inside the church, not something outside the church that Christians should care about, but it's inside the church in the sense that someone who's facing a pregnancy decision, like someone who needs housing, who's water for the thirsty, food for the hungry, clothes for the naked, you know, compassion for the pregnant is also in that. So good works that Christians do should lead to discipleship. So when someone's facing a pregnancy decision, our first thought should be, she needs to become a disciple of Jesus Christ if she's not. The child growing inside of her needs to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. The guy who got her pregnant needs to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so there's amazing evangelistic, evangelistic discipleship opportunity that the overturning of Roe Presents, and we and the church is called to do that. As I said, there's about thirty five hundred pregnancy centers. There's over four hundred thousand churches, and we actually created a ministry program called Making Life Disciples, which is designed specifically to help small groups in churches. And a lot of folks are part of small groups. Actually, be trained so they can come alongside someone who's facing a pregnancy decision and offer them compassion, <laughs> hope, help and discipleship, and that's critically needed for the network of pregnancy centers, and also, frankly, for the folks who are in churches who find themselves pregnant, who are Christians who find themselves pregnant, who may think that abortion was their only option. There needs to be a ministry on-ramp in the church to make sure that that person can apply the gospel of Jesus Christ to this unplanned pregnancy, and that's a critical
1: role for the church. So it's an enormous, amazing opportunity that God has presented to us. Some people would point out that prohibition didn't stop people from drinking alcohol and the overturning of Roe versus Wade is not going to stop abortions. So uh, how do we really promote this culture of life and turn the nation around, not just judicially um, or legislatively, but in people's hearts?
2: Well, kindness, right? Kindness is what leads people to repentance, right? That's what scripture says. And so really when someone who's facing a pregnancy decision, what they really need is for someone to offer them compassion, hope, and help. But you've gotta be looking at the issue as a discipleship issue. And, and when you do that, then we really connect all the amazing support that the church has has available. And that's one of the real calls that we have in terms of the work that we do at CareNet. So we started about six or seven years ago of building out this ministry called Making Life Disciples and as I said, there's so many small groups in churches that could come alongside someone who's facing a pregnancy decision. If you look at the reasons why women have abortions and the why men support them, she doesn't have the place to live, you got an extra room. She can't get to her prenatal visits. You're retired, can you drive? Uh, their, their relationship is frayed. They've never even seen what a good marriage looks like. You've been married for decades. Will you mentor this couple? He's running from fatherhood because he never had a father. You've been a father for years. Will you mentor this young man? He needs a job. You got a business? I mean, I mean all these things. It's really thinking about the life issue through a discipleship uh, perspective. Life decisions need life support. And the life support that these life decisions need are the people in the church, in the pews, who are mobilized to offer compassion, hope, and help. And that's critical as we transition in a post-row environment.
1: You told me in a previous conversation that uh, you all put together uh, the very first national pro-life men's conference. And I saw videos and pictures of all of these men at a pro-life conference. And uh, you know, in in our minds, we think that's just a fish out of a water out of water situation. Uh, what are some of the the stories that came out of that conference? I, I really have looked at men in a lot
2: of ways as sort of the unreached people group in the life in the life issue. The other side has really wanted to sideline men because they know what we know which is that when she's facing that pregnancy decision, he's the most influential in her decision, and that's the support that she needs. So if there's missing support, it's typically him not stepping into that role, and that's the reason why, historically, 86% of the women who've had abortions are unmarried. So we really felt that's part of the work that we do that we've got to be mobilizing men, both at an individual level to step in and to take the responsibility for that life growing inside of her, but also collectively for the community of men if you will, to step in and and protect the community of women and encourage men to step into those roles as well. And that's really what the conference was all about, really mobilizing men. And it's the first time there's ever been a pro-life men's conference in our country as near as we can tell, which tells you some things, but we certainly are looking to do more of that. And we think that's critically important uh, to a post-role environment, having men really stepping into the role that God has really designed them to have and for God has designed them to take.
1: Roland, what if a girl is watching right now and she's pregnant, she is uh, facing the choice of whether or not to abort her child or to choose life. Uh, Where can she go for practical help now? Uh, She can go to our Pregnancy Decision Line,
2: which she can find online by just putting in Pregnancy Decision Line. And uh, we have folks who who, uh, answer phones there to help connect, uh, reach out and connect her also to pregnancy centers. There are pregnancy centers across communities. Uh, If you uh, come to CareNet's website, care-net.org, there's a place there that says find a pregnancy center. But the other thing too, that we're, we're really building out really is more and more churches being able to provide that long-term support as well. And that's why it's so critical that more and more churches have a making life disciples ministry in the church. I always I always give this one illustration uh, to, to, uh, to kind of put a fine point on this. You know, if you're listening to this and you go to a church and, and, and you find there's a woman who's facing an unplanned pregnancy. She takes a pregnancy test on Sunday morning. It's positive and it's not good news. Who's she's supposed to talk to in your church. There's typically 9 days from the from the time that woman confirms her pregnancy till she has and sometimes even would have or even a schedule an abortion. 9 days. So she has to know in that moment who to contact. Now, if you write down on a sheet of paper and and talk to 20 of your friends and they're all in your church and they all write down, if it's not the same person, there's a problem. Because I can guarantee you, if we had 20 Planned Parenthood folks and we asked that same question, they know exactly who she's supposed to talk to on the other side. So this is why church Uh. involvement is so critical around this issue we have to have a clear ministry model. If someone loses a husband, we got grief support. They're facing a divorce, we've got divorce care. <laughs> we got all these different ministries. But for this one thing that's so critical and so time-constrained, there's not a, co- a cohesive ministry on-ramp. And that's the reason why we developed Making Life Disciples, specifically to do that. So there's one answer. That there's a ministry here called Making Life Disciples so that you never feel that an abortion clinic is a compassionate alternative to the church. And that's the evil lie uh, that the devil has spread across this country for 40 plus years. And we, we're happy that he no longer can do that, but the church has got to respond.
1: Roland, I, I love what you and CareNet are doing, and you are such a fantastic uh, teacher and ambassador on this subject um, thank you for for what you're doing. Uh, I just want to point out that uh, my wife and I have six children. Four of them are adopted, and uh, each one of them uh, were this close to not existing. They were one doctor appointment mm-hmm. away from not being here. My wife is also an adopted child, and if she hadn't been born, if her birth mother had not chosen life, uh, either would our two natural-born children. They wouldn't be here either. And uh, I, I had the opportunity to partner up with the Kendrick brothers recently, and we made a film based on a true story. Uh, It's called Life Mark, and it's all about an 18-year-old girl who faced an unplanned pregnancy. And at the last moment, uh, she remembered what what, what a sidewalk counselor had said to her as she walked into the clinic, and she changed her mind. And she concealed this pregnancy, she moved in with her boyfriend, uh, hid hid this for nine months, and then delivered her child and placed her child up for, for adoption. And 19 years later, uh, someone called her and said that he uh, wanted to reconnect with her after all of these years. It just cut straight to the heart on the issue of the, the value of life in the womb and the beauty of adoption. I can't wait for you to see the whole thing. As you know, I got a chance to
2: preview it, and it is amazing. And frankly, I had the same kind of experience because, you know, we, we just welcomed uh, my, my granddaughter from my son that folks wanted us to abort. And I, I still have a great picture of my wife holding our little granddaughter, and it's just blessing after blessing. And she was told in that moment that nothing good could come from this. And the reality it was that that was a lie from the evil one. We've got blessing, blessing in terms of my son and my daughter-in-law, blessing in terms of, of, of my granddaughter. It's an amazing thing. So we really want to make sure that people have the support that they need so they can have the clarity in the midst so they don't have to believe the lie, but they can understand that there's compassion, hope, help, and discipleship, and that the body of Christ, this army that we're called to be, is going to come alongside them to help them because life decisions really need life support. And we're equipped to be able to do that.
1: Man, I am honored to be in the battle with you, Warren. Would you just uh, take a moment for the sake of maybe a woman who is facing an unplanned pregnancy right now, and uh, would you just pray for her, the prayer that reflects the cry of her heart?
2: Absolutely. Father, I just
1: pray for whoever
2: this young woman is that she would know that you love her and that you have a plan for her life, Uh, Lord, and that this, this, this child, even though it was conceived maybe in a way that she didn't expect, is an opportunity for abundance in her life and for life going forward. And so I prayed, Lord, in this moment that she would have clarity there, that there would be people of God who would support her so that she would know that she has the life support that she has, both mm-hmm. from you from a heavenly perspective but also from a temporal perspective so that she can make that life decision. So I thank you in advance for the good work that she will do and the amazing blessing that's gonna come through her. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Roland, thank you so much for joining us today. And a special thank you to CareNet for all the incredible work that's being done there. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.